Welcome to Dr. J's Path to Success podcast. Dr. James Fetish is a successful practice owner, best-selling author, and speaker. Listen in as he shares his secrets to a successful business and a successful life. So now, here's Dr. J. Okay, everybody, welcome to this episode of the podcast. I have a very special guest today. We have Mr. Daryl Lyons here. Daryl is an author, personal finance expert, and a public speaker. Dave Ramsey, Smart Investor Pro. He's an author of a book, Money and Retirement for All Ages, a really smart guy. And he's here to share some financial stuff with us today. So he's, he's key into our unique issues. A lot of chiropractors tuning in and some of the issues that we're dealing with. So he's here to help you out a little bit with some money stuff. So, Daryl, thanks for being on the show. How are we doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. You, you uh, overinflated my intelligence, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, you got some some good good stuff out there. It was an impressive book and a really smart guy there. So I want to talk a little bit about money stuff. So we talk a lot about that. Um, people, you know, it's, it's not all about making money as a business owner, but it's certainly, you know, at the end of the day, the purpose of business is to, is to make money and not just have fun. So uh, tell us a little bit about some of the uh, unique issues you see with small business owners and some unique financial challenges you see. Yeah, so just from a, a point of view, I started a business about uh, 12 years ago, and we um, it, it was hard, uh, no doubt from the beginning, but we're now an Inc. 5000 company, so we're one of the 5,000 fastest growing companies in the country and really just um, bootstrapped it from the get-go. And there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of stories I can share with you. You know, Hopefully, we have time to cover some of them about my experience in overcoming money challenges, but I am a certified financial planner, and my um, education is in uh, finance, but that doesn't subject me to problems. So... I certainly have my uh, challenges. What I recognize is that the primary challenge that exists in the in the marketplace today is not so much math, but behavior. So I spend quite a bit of my time studying human behavior and how that impacts people's wallets. In fact, there's an interesting uh, study that was done that said that um, investing results it can be broken down this way. 13% is timing the market, making the right investment choices, and something else called asset allocation. The other 87% of results of uh, somebody having good, a good investment outcome is a direct result of their decision-making or their behavior. So I've been spending quite a bit of time in the last three, four years really understanding the behavioral side of finance, realizing that that plays a bigger role than some of the traditional research that's out there. Not that the traditional research isn't bad, but it hasn't been moving the needle in our country, specifically in middle America. Yeah, and that's why, you know, you, I know you're Dave Ramsey guy as well. And, you know, him and I are both in agreement on the debt snowball, which we'll talk about later. But, you know, the reason that and that high interest argument is, you know, I understand paying off the high interest first. But, you know, it's all psychological, rolling that debt down and psychologically knocking down those smaller debts. You know, it's all psychological game money, as you said. You know, it's really, really the key of it all. Yeah, so when I first started my business, uh, again, having the academic background in finance and a degree of an ego, um, I didn't really think much of Dave Ramsey. I just thought he was for other people, not people who knew modern portfolio theory and had a degree in this stuff. And so I didn't listen to him. But then as I um, was realizing I was making poor decisions, I started to do the debt snowball, and I started using envelopes. We used envelopes for 12 years consistently. Everything was envelopes. And um, I think my my wife at the time, this was 15 years ago, was uh, tired of going to the grocery store and the debit card was declined. And uh, so we started using cash for everything. 
And the debt snowball made sense to us. Even though I understood interest rates and I understood how high interest rates worked, it wasn't a math issue for me. It was a behavior. So we used the debt snowball and successfully got out of debt and haven't had to worry about that since. And, um, but it, it, you do have to get over the, the high interest rate strategy. It, this thing, this whole money game, it's about behavior and having wins along the way that encourage you to take the next step. Yeah, absolutely. There's some great points there. And you know, a lot of clients I'll talk to when I'm coaching and say, oh, when I make more money, I'll be able to pay off my student loans or, you know, when the practice gets bigger. And, and there's certainly a lot of small business owners are, are under earning or, you know, they could be more profitable for sure. And that's what I help them do. But, you know, for most people, as I'm sure you'd agree, they end up making more money. And a lot of times these debt problems end up getting worse. It's not always an under earning issue, right? Well, you're right. I think one of the key elements of when you're broke or you're struggling with money is creating habits then that continue when you have money. For example, I've had multiple lottery winner clients that have engaged me with their millions and they are not happier uh, and many times their bad behaviors are accentuated with money. So one of the key attributes is when you're struggling with money, especially with spouses, is getting on the same page and creating some healthy habits. Um, we started, as an example, our family started giving um, to those that were hurting and hungry when we were broke. And what I didn't know that I know today um, is that uh, the University of Notre Dame did incredible studies on this, and there's many studies that support it, that those that give 10% um, on a systematic basis or more have less depression. And so I was creating that habit then that I haven't stopped today. And there's definitely some physiological changes that take place when you, when you actually give. And so you do that when you're broke. And then when the zeros get bigger, it's easier. So today the zeros are bigger. And so my giving as a percentage of my income has stayed the same. So now I'm making a significant impact financially in the community. And it's just become a habit. Yeah, that's a great tip, too, and it's unbelievable. I mean, every book you read on this and everybody with some means, everybody says what you just said. You know, the more you give, the more it kind of comes back, and it's just this universal, like, kind of laws of nature, the way money flows, and, and people you try to hold on to it too tight. You know, it's, it's like a, you know, you're grasping an animal or something. You're going to choke it to death. You know, you got to let it let it move, and money kind of moves and flows, and when you, you freely give, you freely get, and it's a lot of psychological stuff to that, but Everybody in, that that I know of means pretty much says that. So it's a very interesting point you brought that up. It's yeah, it's it's a, it's really true, and it's hard to get a handle on it, but it's true. And if you, if your listeners can do it while they don't have money, uh, just out of okay, I'm going to trust some people that have been there and do it. They won't regret it when they get older. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got to be something that you really care about and give. I know you know I, I give obviously as well, and I've had some had a family member that really believed in some cause for family stuff, and it really wasn't you know do anything for me it has to be a cause that i'm passionate about and you know that, that makes you feel good and that you actually believe in and you're making a difference so it's got to be something that you you care about as well so the next thing i'd like to talk to you is financial advice and you know, one of the biggest things i get um young doctors or coming out of chiropractic school or physical therapy school you know two three hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt it's i mean i don't even know what's going to happen with the student loans that we got going on but i know that's a, a big problem facing a lot of people and then it's delaying you know, they come to me to help start a practice. And, you know, when I started 15 years ago, they said, well, oh, you got a doctor? Or how much money do you want? Here you go. And they kind of just hand it over. And, you know, now if you have student loans and that stuff, you're really not getting any kind of um, any kind of loans like that. So 
it does hold up their career as well. It takes years to pay off. So t- talk a little bit about student loans. I mean, ideally, you know, if you're a parent, you want to start a 529 and be saving when they're young. But um, if you've already got the loans, what, what would you have to say about that? Yeah, so that's uh, that's tricky. And I think that's um, a situation a lot of people are in. Um, I, I have spoken with a lot of physicians over the last several years and I'm really proud of some of the decisions that they're making. And I don't know when this decision-making happens, but I know a lot of physicians. They've been working hard, and some of them went, you know, for a long time, and then they get a paycheck, and they want they want the lifestyle, right? I mean, and, and maybe even it's not it's not like, look, I'm not it's, I'm not making a big purchase. I'm just purchasing a fifty thousand dollar car, or whatever it is. But um, with those student loans you don't get a permission slip um, to reward yourself. You, I hate to say it, you still have to delay. What I'm seeing now, believe it or not, I'm seeing some physicians um, really say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to keep up with my peers. I refuse. They have, they have taken inventory of their values and said, I'm going to align my money with my values and make decisions based on my values, not based on peer pressure. Because what happens is we get these indirect subconscious uh, messages from Facebook or Pinterest that tells us as young professionals how we should spend money. And if we're not going to Cabo, we feel like we're inferior. Well, many, many, there should be a trend of this and should be a a support groups and uh, people should uh, be really uh, respected for doing this as a collective group of people. But there's many physicians that are saying, you know what, I'm, I'm done trying to keep up. My family is more important. I'm going to make decisions that's in the best interest of my family. I'm going to drive a beater. We're going to we're going to have one car. We're going to rent, and we're going to focus on paying this down. So the number one character quality, I, 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 there's no magic pill for paying student loans down, but the number one character quality for people that are able to pay down their student loan debt, loan debt is those that align their money with their values and avoid, and I would say stiff arm, the peer pressure that forces them to spend where they don't have the cash to pay it down aggressively. Yeah, absolutely. And it gets a little tougher, especially when you're a doctor or any kind of professional, and then you start making some money and people don't realize how much easier it is to get money when you have, you know, when you're making a little bit more and you know, it's real easy to go to the Mercedes dealership and you could be $200,000 in student loan, but it'll let you buy an $80,000 Mercedes, you know, or, or lease it or whatever, you know, so it gets to be even more challenging. Yeah, and it is delayed. You know, I, I didn't get the big house until, you know, this year, and I've paid all my student loans a long time ago, and we had a decent house, but, you know, we uh, we, we lived below. I paid everything off. I paid to their practice. has no debt. You know, I have no debt, and you know, I really just got the big house 14, 15 years into practice and the, and the really nice cars, and, you know, we don't have any debt now, but, yeah, you got to delay that stuff. If you want it three years out or they'll see me driving a Porsche around and say, oh, I want that, you know, four years in, but it's 14 years of hard work and six days a week and paying everything off, and then you can have that. And actually find you're more happy when you delay the gratification, right? Absolutely. Um, and if people listen to your podcast, they'll know that a key attribute of your uh, home purchase was a good realtor, right? Yep. Yeah. So you got you to know what you're – yeah, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, I'm sure, buying real estate. And <laughs> that's a whole tricky game as well. Um, but, yeah, so tell, and then uh, so, so that's good student loan stuff. And, yeah, I mean, I think you got to – you got to overpay them. I do like doing the snowball method and, and and getting those debts paid off. You really can if you, you tack them. It's amazing how much you can save and, and how much you can uh, tackle debt as well. 
Um, tell how, a little bit about saving for retirement. I think uh, you know, we both know if you read these stats, the average person is saving uh, not, almost nothing. What's the average saver have now for retirement, Tara? Like $1,000 or something like that, the average? It's, uh, it's not good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no, no. I usually look at those that are over 50, and it's less than 20000 So that's the group that's kind of creeping up on um, – Retirement. So retirement, my definition, and, and our company, the company that I, I co-founded is Pax Financial Group. And so the definition of our of retirement for us is, um, or for many people, not us, uh, is the disposition of an asset over its useful life. And so assuming your life's no longer useful, we don't really buy that definition, but rather we tell people that they can pivot into the next chapter on, in life with purpose. And so that means that those that are in their 50s that are looking around the corner, to a time where they're going to pivot, they've got to start really hustling. Now, here's the key, I think a key um, element of this idea of pivoting. I had a client who um, was an anesthesiologist and ended up getting um, Alzheimer's at age 60. Now, think about that, age 60. How much life do you have to live? Yeah, still young. You know, people... people People get Alzheimer's at like 80 or 85 or 70, but 60. And so he had um, he had enjoyed life. He'd spend money, good golf clubs, nice house, but he hadn't saved that much. And so at this point, he's going to run out of money. And I'm just trying my best to squeeze pennies to to, to help hit their family. So the idea for somebody who's young is time goes by fast. And it is really important to not expect Social Security to help you. And we don't know what life's going to look like at, at 65. But if you can't work, you may not want to be wealthy, but please don't put yourself in a position where you have to be dependent on other people, including family or at worst government. And so that's why it's important for those that are starting today with a paycheck to save 15% of their gross income towards that time in which they pivot and they start that habit today, and ideally in their Roth IRAs if they have access to that or a Roth 401k. Nice. A couple of really good good points that I want to go over. Yeah, I remember even being younger and starting to do well in practice. I'm like, oh, if I save all my money, I can retire by 50 and keep saving the way I'm saving. And then and you get a couple years older and you're like, what do you, what do you want to do with yourself at 50? You know, the idea of just retirement and delaying gratification your whole life to, to do what, you know, we talk to patients all the time. And I remember this one guy years, every time he's in, Oh, a couple more years, retire a couple more years, doc, a couple more years. And he finally gets there. He's happy the first couple of months. I remember like four months in, he's like, doc, all my friends from work, they don't call me back when I call them anymore. They don't text me. They're all busy working. And like, you realize like, you know, it's not all it's cracked up to be being retired. But I think your point in mind, I'm, we're on the same page here, is you need to repair if you're 60 and you have Alzheimer's and you have, you know, the money to back up. Or really, most people end up retiring when you read the numbers. It's a health issue. You know, they don't want to retire. That something health comes up. But I think the new retirement is, you know, planning to work, you know, differently as you get older, not maybe needing a nine-to-five job, but doing something like me and you doing books and speaking and or you're doing whatever. You're working part-time, you know, still still having something to do, keep you mentally going, but not needing to have it, I think is kind of the position you want to be in. And and back to, you know, you said the 15, I, I agree, you should be at least the 15. And it's the same thing when you're not making much, people think it's hard to save 15, but as you make more, it gets easier and it makes that habit as well. And it's amazing how much you can take that money off the table and you really just don't end up missing it. Get it out of your account, draw it out automatically and uh, and save it up and 
that I think uh, we'll probably talk about next, but uh, probably the biggest, uh, the best thing in financial ever is what? Compound interest, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I always, I always ask my kids uh, when they have friends over because the joke gets the same over and over again. You know, I'm a dad, so I have dad jokes. And so my kids are like, their eyes. but if they've got a friend, I always tell them, I said, would you rather have a million dollars right now or a penny that doubles every day for the next 30 days? And the answer is always a million. But my kids know by now, don't take the million. Don't take the million. <laughs> and and you, you guys can do the math on your own, but you'll see the power of compounding is unbelievable. And it works. I've retired thousands of people. Like, I've I've seen compounding firsthand. I've been doing this since 1999. And it is unbelievable. People who are disciplined, they don't even have to have the best financial knowledge. They just let the power of compounding work for them. And over time, they build a nest egg so they they can have choices in the second half of life. And and it works. It's boring. It's not something you can talk about at a um, at a country club. It's not you know it's not Bitcoin, but it works. And so I really encourage people to accept it uh, and 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 let it do its job over time, rather than trying to chase that shiny latest investment that frankly half the time. Um, is a distraction to what's really important in life. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, I know so many uh, even wealthy doctors and really smart people. They're just always trying to catch that next stock and the next big thing. Where if you just stay diligently month after month, and I think one of the other, and I'm not sure if you're on the same page with this, but you know, to me, dollar cost averaging is another like such a powerful financial tool that most people don't understand or do. If you just put it away every month, the stock market goes up, it goes down. Over time, it always go, it's always going up, and we don't expect it to do, you know, it's going to ups and downs, but it's going to go up over time. And if you just save every month and put it away, you don't have to worry about trying to time it too crazy if you're constantly putting money away. Are you on the uh, dollar cost averaging side? Yeah, absolutely. So it's an interesting point. So you have listeners that are um, putting money in each month. You know, they might even have parents that are starting to think about retirement. What's interesting is when you dollar cost average somebody who's retiring, meaning that you're sending them a check every month, as opposed to putting money in each month, uh-huh. then the strategy is different. It's a different strategy. I won't get into that necessarily, but the those that are retiring, um, you, you're, it's a reverse dollar cost averaging, so it has a different strategy. My point is, I wanted to make it clear, I love dollar cost averaging for young people who are accumulating money over time. When you retire, you kind of have to switch that up just a little bit, but it's not insurmountable. And so those that are listening that are thinking about their parents, they have to they have to – maybe pay attention to the reverse dollar cost averaging when you're retired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other, uh, you know, I've studied a lot about the saving end of it at 39, but yeah, you're right. That's a whole other, when you get to the other, you got to start drawing it down. That's a whole other can of worms that you got to figure out as well. Um, so it, it, Yeah, there's no the, mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bigger, you can make up uh, make up for things when you're 39, when you're 69, 70, you're, if you're living off your savings, there's less time to uh to move up on there. So there's a lot of financial uh, kind of rules out there. I mean, like 15% you said, and, and it's speaking of retirement, did you, uh, are you on board with that 4% drawdown rule? Should you plan ahead of that or uh, tell us what you think about that? Yeah, that's going to be for uh, many listeners and their parents, or maybe some people that are in the age where they're pivoting or retiring. Um, that 4% withdrawal drawdown rule says if you have a million dollars, you can take out 4% or 40,000 a year. Love the rule. I've, um, researched it backwards and forwards. There's debate in it, certainly, but it does land in a good place. 
Um, and so I like it. There's some nuances here and there that I might do differently based on some additional research, but um, the 4% rule is an excellent rule, and it's called a withdrawal rate on your investments, and it, and it increases the probability you won't run out of money if you honor that 4% rule. So I love that rule. I think it's good, you know, yeah, like you said, the nuances here or there, but I think it's good to just realize, yeah, a million dollars, it used to be that was all you needed for retirement, and that was a big goal, but yeah, if you use that rule, you're only living on $40,000 a year, and if that's pre-tax or post-tax, I mean, that's not not a lot of money to live on for most of us, so you got to realize you really do got to save and, and plan as well. What are some retirement, this is one that I, I like to read up on, there's so many, how much of your, you know, multiplication of your income you need for retirement, or what are some of your thoughts, you know, it's 15 times your income, 10 times, you know, I've heard all kinds of crazy numbers. So what are some, you know, guidelines that you give your clients and how much they think they should need for retirement? Yeah, 20 times your income is probably closer to it, sometimes 25. So you can say, okay, if I need 100,000, I need 20 times that or 25 times that. These are big numbers and they're very real. And people are living longer. See, we're, we're really, I don't know if people realize in the middle class, and it's not so much, I got to say, it's not so much an upper class issue. You know, there's, it's just a different animal, people with yachts, right? And it's not so much a lower class issue, um, maybe those that are on food stamps. And that's not an indictment for either social class, but the middle class has some very unique financial needs. And I need to make it clear that our savings rate, 1979, was 17%. Now we're saving 3.5% of our income. And it's not because we have less information, right? I mean, no. In the late more 70s, out there. It's not, there's a thousand books that'll teach you this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not information. So nobody needs to go out and read more books. I mean, certainly that'll help. But it's it's the behavior. It's we need to change our behavior. And so the the problem today is that we're living so much longer today because of modern medicine and hand sanitation and a handful of things. Richard Fowler talks about this in great detail in his book, The Longevity Project. But we're living longer. And if, as a result of living longer, if we desire to not be dependent upon somebody else, it's it's critical, oh, I can't stress it enough, that we get very serious about saving. And if you run the numbers and say, I need 25 times my income and back and go backwards on that number, you're going to realize that you need to hustle and step it up. And so uh, I, I hate to put the threat on people that way, but it's so critical today. And time flies, and I'm seeing it over and over again with people coming to me Thing I wish I would have known, and that's why that's why I wrote the book the way I wrote it is to help people make some better decisions today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I started. Uh, I wish I started a little earlier. I think everybody did, but I got pretty serious in my mid thirties, so hopefully I could be all right. But um, yeah, yeah, because earlier start is so powerful. There's all those examples of you know starting in your twenties versus thirties or forties. How much more you know little you get and more you'll end up with the younger you start. So, Daryl, I appreciate all your insights. A lot of good information. We could probably talk about this for hours. We're pretty congruent on our, our thinking here, and there's a lot of information. But if people want to get a hold of you, get in touch, uh, read your book, how, how are some of the best ways we can get in touch with you and get a hold of your book? Yeah, so my website is PAX Financial Group. That's uh, PAX, which is Latin for peace. Me and Dave Ramsey, guys, it's a Financial Peace University spinoff. So PAX Financial Group. And then uh, my book will be available October 16th. 2018. So uh, that's 18 to 80, everything you should be doing with your money from age 18 to age 80. And it's rooted in the behavioral financial conversations that we talked about. Hopefully it'll help people make just minor decisions that can move the needle to more financial success and financial peace that they long for. So I, I get that. I grew up without money and I know it's a struggle when you're struggling with money, even to, to have a good marriage. And so I want to move the needle there for middle America. 
Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of psychological stuff. And since your book's not out, before I let you go, give me like two or three of your best financial books for people to check out on, on these topics. Uh, well, of course, I'm a Dave Ramsey Knight, so The Total Money Makeover is one of my yeah, favorite great book, books. Great book. It's easy to digest. Um, and, you know, if there's some business owners out there, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jim Collins stuff. I've always read his um, Good to Great and Great by Choice. And then if somebody wants to get into some of the behavioral finance nerdy stuff that I really dig, um, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, uh, that's an incredible Nobel Prize winner book. Um, so those are a couple little nuggets there. Nice. Yeah, a lot of good books. I like Anthony Robbins. His book was good. It was a little long, but uh, he's got some good stuff. Index card. Uh, what was that? Index card one's really good. There's a lot of stuff out there, but yeah, just got to be disciplined and stick with it. And it's amazing how much you can save. I love playing with those compound interest calculators. It's like my favorite thing to do. All right, I got this much in there. If I keep putting this much, what will it be in 20? I like, I, I literally am on that thing like every day. I got problems probably, but I just love watching how to do what the rate goes here. If I put a little more away, where will I be at in 20 years? How about 30 years? And it's it's just like my favorite tool. I'm kind of a, I probably should have been a financial guy. I'm a bit of a nerd with that, but. That's what I was anyways, thinking. I was hearing that too. Yeah, yeah. I think of another career maybe I, I do that. It's probably a better career than doing this, but uh, <laughs> I love what I do. <laughs> All right, Carol, so I really appreciate you having come on. Some great stuff. We could talk all day about this. Maybe we'll have to talk again some more time or do a seminar together or something. So that was really, really good stuff. So we appreciate you having on. Everyone check out Daryl's stuff online. Check out his book, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Thank you much. You have a great week. You too. Thanks for listening to Dr. J's Path to Success podcast. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. For information, please visit drjamesfetish.com. Dr. James R. Fetish, Clinic Director at Village Family Clinic. His book, Secrets of a Million Dollar Clinic, is available on Amazon and online at HackettstownFamilyClinic.com or DrJamesFetish.com, www.drjamesfetich.com. Www